I think that for a lot of people, it's hard to eat after the game. I don't blame them. You get on the flight and some people will eat and some people still aren't hungry and some people just want to fall asleep. And then we just kind of forget to eat. Now we're in a caloric deficit. And then, you know, if we land at 2.30 and you're hungry, what's available? Welcome to the Performance Nutrition Podcast. Giving you the latest evidence-based research and cutting-edge insights for elite mental and physical performance. He's connecting you directly with the world's leading experts and coaches. Here's your host, Dr. Bubbs. Welcome back or welcome to the Performance Nutrition Podcast. I'm Dr. Mark Bubbs, Performance Nutritionist. The NBA season is here and I'm delighted today to be chatting with Jacqueline Sclaver, former head of performance nutrition for the Orlando Magic in the NBA, consultants to pro athletes in the NFL and professional boxing. In this episode, we're going to cover Jackie's philosophy when it comes to performance nutrition, common nutrition roadblocks she sees with professional, collegiate, and high school athletes. You'll hear her insights on how to deal with players who are resistant to change. I think you'd all appreciate that. How she incorporates lab testing into her athlete assessments, as well as loads of great practical insights she's gained from being a boots on the ground practitioner. All right, let's do this. My conversation with Jacqueline Sclaver. Jackie, really appreciate you carving out some time today for us. Thanks for having me on. For listeners who might not be as familiar with your work, can you tell us a bit more about you know, your background and working in, in performance nutrition and sport? Sure. So I am a performance nutritionist and I work with a lot of professional athletes, um, obviously mostly performance. I don't really do endurance. Um, I have a big focus working with NFL, NBA, um, professional fighting, and really any, I have a lot of tennis players as well. So really any performance sport, but I also work with active general population. So anybody who's active, whether they're being a competitive athlete or you know, you're, they're your avid gym goer. Um, so they fall under my umbrella as well. I started about seven years ago, taking a really cool internship, working with NFL off season. And I fell in love with it. I mean, I just, I knew I moved my whole life down to Atlanta because cool. I just, into it i'm like wow this is what i want to be doing this is my passion my heart and it all kind of went from there that's amazing i'm really looking forward to digging into this both sides of the coin which i work as well kind of the team sports side and that individual sport which has its pluses and minuses and different uh, challenges as well maybe before we do that can you give us a sense of you know your philosophy when it comes to performance nutrition are there certain sort of big rocks that you're looking to put in place uh, when you're working with a different team or athlete Absolutely. The number one thing is that every person's different, right? Like everybody is different. And so that definitely presents some challenges when you're in a team sports situation, because you're in control of a team and you have, whether it be 17 different players or 50 different players. Um, yeah. Football's tough, right? It's a lot of, a lot of bodies. Everybody's individual. So you can say that there are certain rules and we know the science in certain areas and certain things that we have to follow. But at the end of the day, you have to be able to take that science and practically apply it and do the best you can. So, you know, you see these people arguing back and forth a lot on social media and like the, the research says this. And, and it's like once you're out in the field physically working with athletes, you have to really understand that thin line of what you know and what the science is and what's really going to be done. And find that happy medium and execute it. And I think that that is kind of my philosophy of how much of what we know from science and, um, you know, I do have a lot of my own theories, too, because I think the research in nutrition is very new mm -hmm. and we have to think outside the box. You have to trust yourself and your knowledge and your experience to say, hey, you know what? 
maybe there is a little bit more to this and maybe we don't have the research on it, but let's try this. Um, and, and, you know, of course, without ever putting somebody at harm or anything like that, but just little areas where you just kind of have to start to think outside the box. And I think, you know, I'm not a researcher or PhD, but I do think that's where some of these studies come from, where somebody was out in the field and thought, hey, you know what, maybe this is the way something should be done. Let's go, let's go test it out. Yeah, some great points there. I mean, certainly when you're in the trenches, so to speak, you're going to be experiencing things and seeing things and appreciating that you can only make so much change over a certain amount of time and trying to pick your spots into maybe what's the bigger leverage points and what's the smaller leverage points. It's your other point. I mean, I've been in rooms where, you know, performance teams, this is in the premiership in the UK where, you know, they're saying to the universities, we don't want any more studies of university level athletes and translating that to the professional ranks, because that's not who we're dealing with. We're dealing with professional athletes. So to your point, you know, you're going to be gleaning a lot of things off of actually just being there. So if we, Maybe start in with some of the team sport work. So you started out in football, a lot of bodies in football, a lot of, obviously there's the contact, you know, there's the caloric intake, uh, fueling. Can you walk us through maybe when you first started out, what were some of the things that jumped out at you in terms of areas that, again, maybe when you were studying, you know, you had all, everything covered and then you get out there on the field and you realize, okay, there's some areas here that actually I need to really double down on. So I want to clarify, as far as working in a team environment, I actually only worked with the NBA on a team. So I was always in private practice working with individual athletes who hired outside of the team. Okay. So, but there is still a difference between a team sport athlete and an individual athlete, such as working with a professional boxer yeah. that hires a team around them. So For there sure. are definitely a lot of differences there, but when it comes to working in a team and on an actual team with, you know, a team sport it's really amazing the experience of getting to be in that room with the performance team and, you know, nine other intelligent, amazing minds that are experts in their field and you know, have athletic trainers and doctors of physical therapy and sports scientists and the best strength and conditioning coaches. And you kind of get all these brains into one room to figure out the best plan of action for all the players, whether it be a rehabilitation or um, you know, like a stay ready or going into a back-to-back -back game and how we're going to handle things. And to me, that was like one of the most fun parts of the job mm -hmm. because it's really, and I learned so much from being in those rooms too, because we just have like so many brains going at it. And, and I think that's a really cool part about being part of a team and having the support around you to facilitate your own ideas also. Because when you're working as a you know individual practitioner, you now have to find people around you to help execute. Mm -hmm. And the other people may or may not be quote unquote on your team. <laughs> you know, so you gotta hope that their strength and conditioning coach wants to talk to you and listen to you. Um, but they don't have to. And so being in a team environment, it's really great to have that support to be able to execute as well in all areas. Yeah, particularly when everyone's aligned and on the same page from sort of management down to performance staff, down to players and everything else. It is amazing how that can really, uh, you know, start to pick up momentum and make a lot of change for yourself and working with individual NFL players. Can you give us a little taste of, you know, in working with players, you know, what were some of the maybe roadblocks or, or challenges that they faced that you're able to help them with? Absolutely. A lot of the NFL players I worked with were linemen and that's because they're bigger guys and they have to concentrate more on what's going into their body. And so a lot of them came to me with being overweight at the end of the season. And this is kind of mm -hmm. a struggle between where the team wants them weight wise and where they feel comfortable or where their joints feel, feel comfortable. Where does their lab work look comfortable on them? And that's yeah. kind of a little bit of a conflict. I, what I've seen um, between their actual health 
uh, inside and out and like what the team weight wants them to be at. And so I think that that presents a challenge for them because also at the end of the season, they're kind of let go and there isn't much guidance there on how to direct them after the season. And so that's always been the biggest thing guys come to me with is like, Hey, Jack season's over. Like I need to drop 20 pounds. I need to drop 40 pounds. I need to. And, and then some guys had some pretty detailed lab work that I looked at that I'm like, okay, this is a little bit deeper than just having to drop 40 pounds. So I think that's one of the mm-hmm. big challenges. And every season it's kind of a yo-yo for them because then they go into season and they want them to be within a certain weight and that back yeah. on. And so that's a big struggle for them. Um, and, and I think it's, it's something, it's definitely a challenge that presented itself for me. I mean, we were always almost always able to do that in the off season. And then I worked with some guys year round and then it's like, okay, well, what weight does your team want you at? Because that's where we're going to have to yeah. in that range. It's a tough position, isn't it? Because the demands of just body mass are so high. But then, as you say, from a health standpoint, when we look at retired players and data on retired players, all the skill positions do really well afterwards, but the linemen really struggle to kind of lose that weight and all that central adiposity and visceral fat and, and the downstream effects on on glucose and blood pressure and all that type of thing. You know, I'm sure people listening in are curious. You know, you get linemen coming into the offseason. Are there certain areas for you that you would start at to help you know, shed 20, 30 pounds, whatever they want to do in the off season. Yeah. I mean, we're going from, Hey, eat everything you need to eat to <laughs> just seafood diet. Exactly. But they're also in a facility, you know, um, all the sports teams really provide a lot of food, but with NFL, mm. like they're very dependent upon going in and eating at the facility a lot. And now they're yep. in their off season. And they're, like I said, they're kind of just like left to their own, which is an overwhelming feeling for anyone who's not used to that. So yeah. it's really figuring out how many calories should they be consuming and then I, you know, I look at their training schedule and make sure they're fueled enough for that training schedule, nutrient timing, you know, kind of the same thing that I would do in season, but mm-hmm. setting them up. I think some of the biggest things for them is setting them up with like a proper meal prep or a proper chef um, and making sure that they're not doing this Uber Eats or just grabbing Publix on the way home or grabbing Chipotle all the time or, yeah. um, and, and if we are going to do Uber Eats, like picking the right choices, um, and then some of the other things I see is these guys are used to going all day without eating and then kind of just like backloading at the end of the day. Um, yeah. And then the other biggest challenge is let's be real, like season's over. You kind of want to chill out, right? You need some time to decompress, right? Some guys will be drinking. Yeah. So there's changing those lifestyle habits too. Um, there's So everyone kind of presents with something different, but it's, I think the biggest thing is getting them on like a, a regimen, a schedule and really teaching them like how much food do they actually need? Mm-hmm. What do portions look like? What things, you know, if they were never taught, they don't know you, you think, oh, and also every year there's always the documentary that comes out. Whether oh yeah, it be, yeah, for sure. You know, what Just to add another are. wrench in the whole plan. You gotta. Exactly. So like the one year they want to be paleo, the next year they want to do keto the next year. So we go through that together. And usually like within the month, they're over that, you know, I'm always like, you want to try it, try it. And if we, if we pin it there for a sec, Jackie, and yeah. talk about that, because I know that's something that comes up for a lot of sport dietitians, performance nutritionists, SSC coaches. So the, the next documentary comes out, the athletes really curious or into it. You know, how do you address that conversation? Do you have a certain way of conversing, a certain strategy to help kind of navigate those, those choppy waters? I find that just, teaching them the science in the easiest way, like in layman's terms, obviously you have to watch a documentary, figure out what's really going on and explain mm-hmm. to them like, Hey, you know, this was very biased. Let me explain to you, like, why does the blood look this way in that way? You know, what is in this blood that's making it look foggy? And 
And mm -hmm. sometimes, especially because if it's, if it's off season and I learned this in my, you know, I did seven years with off season NFL, I will tell them, Hey, you want to try this? You want to try to do paleo? Let's do it. And it doesn't take long. I mean, within a few weeks, they feel that they don't feel great. And they're like, you know what, Jack, I think we want to go back to the other thing. I'm like, I knew you would. And, and I knew, I always know I've never had anybody. I've even done keto for a month with it, with the NFL player off season and they just don't feel good. So I just let them figure it out on their own. And then we go back mm -hmm. to doing it the other way. Uh, if it was in season, I think I would be against it because obviously you know, they really need to be fueled for the game, but I let them play around. I'd rather them do it under my care and do it correctly. And at least know they're getting enough calories than just do it on their own and think they're in keto, but they're not. Yeah, it's a great point. I mean, it's it's amazing how even most dietary strategies, there'll probably be a few lessons to be learned or a few things that they pick up. And so it's nice to be able to, if they're, you know, motivated, you know, as you say, kind of let them do it. But if when it's under your, your guidance or the guidance of a practitioner, you can then start to nudge and, and adjust the journey. So they end up, you know, achieving some of the principles or the things that you're after, which is great. And, you know, you mentioned the performance chefs, which is obviously really fantastic when it does occur, because all of a sudden now, you know, the, the look of the meals, the portion sizes, all those things are taken care of, right? I mean, imagine the clients who have a chef, you're making some faster inroads than some of the ones where you're teaching the cooking or, or helping them to build up menus, right? Yeah, I, I think that one of the biggest things that I do offer my athletes, and I have one of the biggest chef and meal prep networks in the country, I think at this point, mm -hmm. is really being able to source that for them, knowing mm -hmm. what they need, being able to like interview a chef and know that they kind of match up well. So you know, are we looking at somebody who just is going to meal prep and drop off? Are we looking at somebody who's going to be in their home and what's that going to look like? Um, different budgets, different price points. Um, I don't know any athletes that cook for themselves. I'm going to be honest with you. They really don't have time yeah. if you're being realistic about it. Um, breakfast, breakfast, they'll do at home sometimes. Um, if they're married, sometimes the wife will do something, you know, some breakfast. I, I love talking to significant others and wives because if I can teach them, I know that Things are going to be implemented. It's a, it's a great way to get buy-in, isn't it? Yeah. So um, get the family on board and then all of a sudden yeah. behavior change gets a lot easier. Right. And I have somebody who will like communicate. Sometimes, you know, I'll try and do a, a call or a talk with everyone in the room and then you get the truth mm -hmm. behind something. So, mm. um, but I do think that having the, the growth of the meal prep chef for athletes has been a huge, a huge help. Um, and it helps me a lot because like, like you said, then I know exactly how much they're getting in and it's too much. It really is. When you're an athlete, like that's your job. It's, it's too much to think about those other things. And that's why they hire someone like myself. And that's why they do pay for meal prep or for a chef. Yeah. And it is confusing even amongst people who are working in sport and other, other practitioners who are, let's say S&C coaches or other practitioners who are sort of layering in nutrition in environments where there might not be a sport dietitian and whatnot. And, you know, for the player or the individual, sometimes it can feel conflicting, even of some of the suggestions that are coming through. So like you say, it's great to be able to have you know, support there. If we pivot a little bit now to your time in the NBA, right? Different sport, different somatotype, right? Different looking athletes. What are what are some of the nuances and challenges there when you're stepping into that arena? So I started working with um, NBA offseason players before I started working with the actual team. And mm -hmm. one of the biggest challenges was the amount of output they have. You know, NBA can have games four times a week. We can have back-to-back mm -hmm. games. We can play a game and leave at 11 o'clock PM and then land in another city at 3 AM and play the next day. And so those are considerations where you drop the ball in one meal and that starts to catch up with you. That really does. And that's something I learned very early on. And I think that's the thing that a lot of players learn early on 
if they, so similar to football where the skills positions can get away with not eating as well. There's mm-hmm. certain NBA players who can get away with not eating as well. So like the bigs, you can kind of compare them to the linemen. They have to think a lot more about the fuel that's going into their body. And so I find that to kind of mimic itself in the NBA, but generally speaking, if you start to drop the ball, it's going to be a lot harder to catch up and you're going to feel it a lot more because the demand is so high and the travel schedule is so intense. So Mm -hmm. there's a lot of attention to detail and a lot of areas where things, where the ball can get dropped along the way. And you might not think about it, but it's like, oh, I didn't have time to eat breakfast this morning go into, go into shoot around or go into practice. Um, oh, you know, I'm going to get something really quick. Cause I didn't have time to have something before the game. Don't eat on the plane on the next till the next day. And now the next day comes around and you're like, man, I'm beat. And so it's little areas and then they just add up and, or maybe you see it at the end of the week. So I think that's a big challenge that presents itself. Um, I, when I work with private athletes, you know, outside the team, typically, I've seen the pattern change actually in the past couple of years, typically okay. it's more of your veteran players that were hiring me. Maybe it was like an injury or things just aren't the same as they used to be. And yeah. now I'm starting to see some of the newer players, which I love. That means that the mindset and the culture around it's changing. Um, yeah, for sure. And so they're more being preventative or they, maybe they have um, a mentor player or another player on their team. That's kind of like, Hey, dial in your nutrition now. And that's going to pay off later. Like, don't wait until you feel like you need it because you need it now. Yeah, it is tremendous. I mean, when we do some talks for our 13-year-old cadet players at Canada Basketball, I'm always amazed at what they know now in terms of nutrition at 13, even compared to what, what we knew back in the day. And to your point, now you see young players coming into the league and, and there's already this level of knowledge or or even a little bit more buy-in. Whereas, yeah, typically it's after an injury, after something happens, after maybe it's a contract year, and then it's a very reactionary approach to things versus what you're mentioning here which is really proactive isn't it and really setting up those habits and so if we circle back to the examples that you gave tough schedule in the nba you know a lot of back-to-backs flying etc what were some of the strategies or tools that you you know can you give us examples something that you might have used there to help you know buffer and, and navigate that um i mean i was always on um, i was always on top of things you know i really the one great thing with nba is that you know, you have about 17 players and that's going to be your max. So even though it might sound like a lot, it, I personally was able to keep an eye on a lot of what was going on and mm-hmm. that me being there, you know, I traveled full time with the team. And so that's a little bit yeah. of a unique situation. I think there's maybe four or five teams that had people that traveled full time. And I'm not sure how people could do it without traveling full time, but I mean, I was really on it all the time. Sometimes I felt like the team mom <laughs> more than, more than uh, um, you know, just a nutritionist, but, you know, just really staying on top of everybody and, and watching what's going on from afar. You know, I'm not on top of them Hawkeyeing, but I'm always observing. I'm always watching. I spent a lot of time talking to our flight attendants about what was being eaten on the plane, you know, checking yeah. things just, just so I could know what was just going to on. Get an idea, right? What's going in. Yeah. And, and would it, where were the biggest, uh, sorry, I was just going to say, where were some of the biggest gaps, would you say? Like, is it the breakfast after some of those back-to-backs where you're having to remind players, okay, we got to get, make sure we eat breakfast, get some protein in, et cetera, or? or... You know, I think, I think it depends, but after a game, it's hard for players to eat, right? I don't care what's going mm-hmm. play. You know, you're in that fight or flight. Yeah. And, you know, when you're, you're on the road, you have this quick t- turnaround period where you got to shower and do your rehab and, and, and get on the plane and, and so you haven't even, and you have media, you haven't even come down from that high yet, right? So how is your hunger going to kick in? It doesn't. So 
I think that for a lot of people, it's hard to eat after the game. I don't blame them. And then, you know, you get on the flight and some people will eat and some people still aren't hungry and some people just want to fall asleep. Um, and it depends, like, are you still hyped from the game? And so I think mm -hmm. that there's a lot of areas in that place. And as you know, post-game recovery starts or post-practice, any type of output post-recovery starts within the 45-minute window. Yeah. So if we knock that out and then we just kind of forget to eat, now we're in a caloric deficit. So that is the one of the areas that I think probably always challenging right yeah and then and then you know if we land at 2 30 and you're hungry what's available um you know in some major cities there could be a lot more and i always tried to make sure that my guys did know what was available um but mm -hmm. listen sometimes in a small city that could be a 7-eleven pizza i'm not gonna lie no it just is what it is um and then some other cities we had you know you could have 24-hour room service or maybe there's some you know really great 24-hour diners that are around where you could actually order something decent um I would say that's one area. And then um, as far as breakfast and stuff, and I think I feel like breakfast is an area that's covered pretty well. I think it's more the days off that, you know, who knows what's okay. going on. And and as a player, you know, if you have other obligations and people forget about this, when we talk about load management, in my mind, it's not just the practice and the playing, but it's what's going on outside the team. For sure. Do you have any obligations? Do you have, um, you know, do you have volunteer work? Do you, is your manager on the road bringing you to dinner with people? And so it's at home, the whole deal. Yeah. So it, it's, it's a lot more than what people are just seeing, you know, just because they're not load management's not just the practice and the play on the body, but it's a whole psychological aspect and social aspect as well, in my perspective. Hey friends, a quick note to let you know, athlete performance nutrition has a brand new short course all about leveling up your mental performance and coaching skills. Learn from the NBA's Dr. Alex Auerbach about the three mindsets of elite performance and how to leverage relationships for high performance. Learn from mental performance coach Bryce Tully about habit formation strategies for success for you and your athletes. And learn from Dr. Mike Clark, mental performance coach at the University of Arizona, about strategies for having hard conversations, which, let's be honest, is the reality when working in elite environments in sport. You can save 30% off the cost of this new short course with the code MINDSET at checkout. Just head over to athleteperformancenutrition.com, click on the Courses tab, and use the promo code at checkout. That's athleteperformancenutrition.com, promo code MINDSET to save 30% off this tremendous new short course. All right, let's get back to the conversation with Jackie Sclaver. Yeah, life load is, is definitely a real thing, and it certainly contributes to the to the rest of the load. Um, that's really interesting. And like you say, the, that post-game period is so key because it's like if we don't get that right, then like you say, that 2.30 in the morning, obviously we're going to be really hungry now because now we haven't eaten much in that post-game period. So it's, it's a tricky one. It's so individual to, to different people. Some people can eat fine after a game and other people, like you say, just can't eat. And, and it's, it's a real hurdle. If, uh, if we pivot again, Jackie, we talked team sport. Let's go over to the individual sports side. You know, you've done some work, obviously, in fight sport. How do you find, as you're getting into that, what were your initial thoughts, reactions to the different challenges that you're you're observing as as you're getting into that environment? Yeah, so one of the one of the coolest things, but one of the biggest dynamics of working in an individual sport is that this athlete now hires a team around them, and so now you're asking an athlete who is the best in the world at their sport, like that's what they know, right? So for them to hire a great team around them, you have to give them a lot of credit to put that together, or they have like a really great manager who put that together. But, you know, not everybody has that. And even some of the people that do, you know, it's hard it's, it, to put together a really good team around yourself mm -hmm. is to me, it's, it's, 
it's important, but it's also hard to do. So yeah. now everybody who's on that team has been hired by the individual athlete. They trust them. And now you become, you know, a team with it within them and how the, you all work together to support this mm-hmm. athlete in the biggest time of their career and this huge fight. Um, yeah. And so that's a really cool dynamic. I thought it was a really interesting dynamic. Um, and it presented challenges as well, because, you know, we're all the experts in our field, but there's no kind of like director or manager that you have in mm. a sport that kind of puts all that together. And a lot of us are located in different places. So I always do the best that I can um, to get to the location where the fighter and their and their team is. And so when, team I is, with, yeah. when I worked with some fighters that trained down in South Florida, I, once a week, I would drive an hour and a half to go meet them at their training facility. And I know one of their... Uh, one of their agents didn't understand why I did that. And I'm like, cause I have to be there. Like, I just have to show up, talk, talk to their coaches. To, I mean, whether they want to talk to me or not, like, it's just the time, that little bit of feedback that I can get. And just to show that like, I'm here, I'm supportive. I'm part of the team. Yeah. It's amazing how some FaceTime is so key, right? Just to actually be in a room with people and then to, you know, make that bit of that connection, like you say, and whether it's verbally saying things, even just like you say, just being there is also a statement in and of itself. And so that's, that really is a big key to build buy-in and try to build some of that trust, right? Because it's not always easy to just build trust right off the bat when you're hired into a new situation. You know, absolutely. And like, you know, and I hate to bring this up, but I, you know, I am a woman and it, it sports are male dominated. And when you look at the fight world, it's, it's, you know, I was the only woman in the room a lot of times. And so mm-hmm. it's, it's very new. It's very new for everybody around them. Um, mm-hmm. And I think nutrition as being part of this team is a new, as a new thing. And, and we've ta- I've talked about that. You know, when I worked with Deontay Wilder, which was an amazing experience and all of his coaches around, you know, we did have that talk of, Hey, this is the first time we've had a nutritionist as part of our core team. And they were open to like, you know, how do we utilize you the best or how mm-hmm. come you want to be in these meetings with us? And and I would fly every week out there because yes, of course I wanted to be in them. And, um, and it's not just to be able to brainstorm with them and see what they're doing, but you're supporting this athlete and letting them know like, Hey, I'm here for you as well. Because being an individual sport athlete is huge mentally. Yeah, no teammates to really lean on, right? I mean, you've got your sort of, like you said, the performance team that they build around them, but not quite the same as having teammates. And, and with your work with Deontay or a similar, you know, fighter, what are some of the areas or, again, challenges, uh, some strategies perhaps that, that you implemented that were important to be able to, for him to achieve those outcomes? Yeah, I think in the fight world, there's such this old school mentality behind nutrition, right? And and when it comes to, like, I've worked with UFC fighters, I mean, it's really back backwards and so you're fighting against these norms of like no no hey we do need fuel it's just how much and when and when we go into fight camp the cut what that looks like they just want to starve them you know and it's like it is really tough I mean I'm not gonna lie I would work with UFC again but it's not my favorite because I'm so into supporting the health of the athlete and it is Mm -hmm. it's really a battle in UFC you know I give credit to the few dietitians that are really doing it right and get that buy-in and trust um now in, in the boxing world, working with heavyweight, I got to put weight on him, which was great. Um, yeah, I was going to say, that's, that's nice, right? Yeah. And, and once again, there was a lot of education behind things because you know, you're coming into a sport where everything is just kind of really old school mentality. So I was really lucky. I got to educate his team and the people around him on the proper practices and the things that we should be doing. Um, and, you know, as you know, small differences make a big change in the end. So in, when you know as much as we do, or I don't know how you feel, but sometimes I feel like, oh, I need everything to be perfect. And how do we execute all? And this is one thing I've learned over the years is that things move really fast in sport and it cannot be perfect, but small changes are really big wins, especially coming from a place where there was never nutrition before. 
So yeah, those are things I've learned along the way of, you know, next time we'll get a little better at this and next time we'll do that. But don't stress if we're not executing at 110% of what I'd like to do. Yeah, it's one of those examples of it's probably a good idea for all of us to pick up an activity or a sport that we've never done before. And if you had to listen to somebody give you all of these instructions on this thing that you don't even know how to do, you'd just be overwhelmed and think, oh my gosh, how am I going to do any of this? Versus when you do that new thing and you get that little bit of instruction in that first layer, like you say, in that second layer, and you know, you do appreciate things more like, like you're saying here, isn't it? Then being able to, the wins that we can actually put in place and then the ones that you're going to have to keep in your back pocket for six months down the road or next year or who knows, two years down the line for, for some individuals, right? And that's something that, you know, you, you kind of mentioned before, but having the trust and the buy-in of the athlete is the most important thing. Whether you're an individual sport or a team sport situation, you have to have, the athletes need to trust you and what you're saying to them, because they're not going to have, they're not going to have time to sit there and think about everything. It's like, Hey, you know, I'm the expert in this. You trust me. This is, and what I try to do is make it as simple as possible. Just like, here's what you have to do from when you wake up to when you go to bed. And I try to put all the systems in place and maybe it's their coach that's giving it to them or you know we just have things ready for them but they really have to trust you to follow that right if because if they don't have trust then they're not the buy-in's not going to be there so yeah and it's interesting how certain sports i mean endurance sport would be like this obviously certain fight sports where it's so built into the sport to be able to perform the nutrition side i mean obviously in endurance if you're not eating a certain energy intake you can't even keep up in the tour de france and if you're trying to make weight appreciate that there's still a lot of old school strategies, but they understand that they've got to eat certain things. So is that, again, we're having the meal prep or a chef or or what are some of those key pieces that then allow the the athlete to really understand, okay, this is the meal frequency I need, or the, and this is the portion size. This is, you know, are you talking grams per kilo of carbohydrates to some of these athletes, or is it more heuristics around, okay, show up and eat these meals or half your plate? Because I know the different sport nutritionists and dietitians listening in, people have you know, different strategies and, and they're often asking, you know, how people operate. I think with most of the athletes I work with, it's, I do all the back end stuff, the numbers, they're not, they yeah. have no idea. Um, I've had a few athletes ask me and I'm, I'm very happy to, to, to explain to them what they're doing, but they're yeah. not looking at their plate and like, Oh, I have, you know, five grams per kilogram of carbohydrate on this plate. For sure. Now yeah. I do teach a lot of chefs that, yes. um, and one of the things I look at when I'm hiring a chef and I've learned a lot over the years is they might think they know nutrition, like they say they know macros, but they don't. So I do a lot of teaching that to yeah, my chefs fantastic, so that they learn and dial that in. Um, and so that's kind of between me and the chef or me and the, and that's why it's so important to find the right meal prep person or the right chef, because they're kind of, they're the feet on the ground. Right. And they're also the person who sees the athlete a lot more, especially if they're in their house, you know, I lean on them for a lot of feedback. Um, and then I take that feedback of, you know, really good chefs will kind of give you feedback of, oh, hey, we, you know, we try to like do a little, try a little bit of experimental stuff out and then they'll give me feedback yeah. on that. And then I can carry that over into the other areas where we're feeding the athlete, whether that be in the arena or on the road, or, you know, if they're going to a restaurant. So there's a lot more that goes on behind the scenes than the athletes even see. That's for sure. Yeah. It's interesting. It's always good to remind, you know, especially young practitioners had Graham close on Maybe last season from Liverpool, John Morris talking about in her early days, he was about to give a talk to the rugby guys and it was very detailed, very granular, but for some reason, the PowerPoint went out. And so he couldn't give that talk that was very deep and very granular, I ended up giving a very general talk and it went down really well. The players really got it. And he, afterwards, upon reflection, he was mentioning to me that 
you know, had he given the original really detailed talk that would have probably gone over the heads of most of the players and, and really tough to be able to really connect with. And so, you know, interesting to hear, as you say, you know, a lot of the stuff can be done behind the scenes, can be connected with the chefs, um, can be collected by the dietitian or nutritionist, and then the delivery, right, is could be could be quite straightforward and simple, can it? Yeah, I mean, you'd, I think a lot of athletes would be surprised to see how much the sports scientists works with dietitians, um, how much, you know, the rehabilitation team and the physical therapists, like how much detail we do on the back end to execute something that might just look like a meal in front of them on the front end. Mm -hmm. But there's so much data and information that really goes into that. Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, energy expenditure and, and fight sport. And of course, you know, you, you mentioned tennis and other individual sport. There's massive outputs as well. Um can you tell us a bit about that sport of, you know, some areas of more focus is it the hydration side? I mean, during some of these long three, four or five hour matches, you know, what, what are some of the fuels that are, are going in? So tennis to me is the biggest output of any sport I've worked with. Um, and I work with actually a lot of student athletes in tennis mm -hmm. and I say student, but they're already pros on them at that level. Yeah. It's, it's amazing what these kids do. And I've started with them from like a young teenage years going through going to pro or going to college. Um, you know, most of them are homeschooled because they are training three sessions a day. And so they wake up, they go to a training session. Um, you know, they probably have like their tennis in the morning and then strength and conditioning. Then they have lunch, then they have school and then they have tennis again. How does their central nervous system even function? Like I could never, by the time I'm done an hour and a half intense workout, like my brain doesn't want to function. Yeah, <laughs> you know? I hear you. I don't know how they do. And you think about how much their, their reactions and there's just so much to it. And so tennis to me is the biggest output. And to your point, that is fueling their brain too. And I always tell them this, especially, you know, I've worked with a lot of quarterbacks too. We need to fuel not just your body, but your brain mm -hmm. because you have to be really fast. And, and these, these kids are in school. Um, so for them, I think that they are so underfueled when they come to me because they can't even imagine how much fuel they need. And nutrient timing is really important with them, not just because they're training so much, but how do you get in a certain amount of fuel when there's so much training going on? Yeah, school training. I mean, it's tough, isn't it? Are there certain tips and tricks you might give some folks listening in of how you slide in some extra calories or meals or snacks? Yeah, I mean, and listen, this is like my number one trick, no matter what the weight gain sport is or, you know, drinking things. It's funny. I always say like weight loss and weight gain are kind of the same trick of yeah, like yeah. do it fluid, but you can get so many calories into, if you're going to have a protein shake, you know, you see people do like, Oh, I'm just going to put protein powder in here. Well, listen, you're drinking this much, you're drinking 10 ounces of fluid or 16 ounces of fluid. Let's get in as many calories as we can into that cup. Mm -hmm. And so we can make a thousand calorie shake versus your 150 calorie shake or 200 calories. And so that's definitely one area that we can do it. But, you know, there's also these like amazing foods and you think about dates, you know, it's like two dates can have 40 grams of carbs and you put some peanut butter yeah. in there. I think people discount how great some of these, you know, fruits are and some foods that just are highly caloric um, with it without having to get a ton of food volume in. Yeah. Especially for kids and young you know, adolescents, the dried fruit can be pretty nice because it stores and doesn't go bad. Well, it takes a long time to go off. Um, certainly a great way to get it in. That's that's really interesting. Yeah, in terms of outputs during matches, I mean, I know, um, you know, watching some of these majors, it's like they're out there for five hours. It's unbelievable. It really blows my mind. I was watching, what was it the, the US Open that I was, I think somebody had an eight hour match. I mean, I went, I actually went to dinner while Serena was playing one of her last matches and we got to dinner, she was playing. We ate dinner and left and she was still playing. That's bonkers. And I was like, wow, I cannot believe 
how much output they have. And you really think about the downtime and what can you get into your body and digest and not have a bad stomach within that time period. And I think that's where, you know, there's this whole theory of like carbohydrate training. Mm -hmm. And so you do learn to train your gut to take in more carbohydrates over that time period. So these are things that like, of course, we're not going to implement just tournament day. We start ahead of time. Um, And this is also some of these great, you know, slow release carbohydrates start to come in handy. I don't know if you're familiar with like you can, you know, they have that starch out there and utilized correctly in these types of sports, they can really be helpful because you can have that and like maybe have your quick release carb, whether that be like your dates or something, and then also have your, you can. And so while you're out there, you know, in the next 45 minutes or so, those carbohydrates start to kick in. Now, yeah. I always question like, how do we know when everyone digests differently? It's really and individual, like, isn't it? Some people can tolerate more, others less. It is. And it's just feedback from the athlete. You know, it's, it's like, it's just, you know, how did you feel? And, and do we need more? Do we need less? You know, that I think to me, that's, it's kind of, you just have to guess and assume. And, but like I said, it's a lot of feedback. Yeah, just trial and error. And- yep. And I also think like the hydration is really important too, when they're out there, um, especially playing in the heat. And like, how do you get this fluid into them? How much mm-hmm. you can get into them in that time period? Um, and these things, and they start days ahead of time. Just like same thing with like NBA, same thing with NFL. You can't expect to fuel just tournament day or just, you know, like the old school of let's yeah. carb load the night before, let's hydrate the night before. It's actually a lot longer process than that. Sure. From what I've, just from what I've seen, you know, not inside of a lab, but just seeing how athletes deplete. If on Thursday, they're not fueling well on Saturday, they're going to feel it. And I think people discount that, that it is all long. You really have to think about this because you can't just go into Saturday and think I'm going to be able to fuel this entire tournament on Saturday. Yeah, it's incredible. I mean, some of the data on the, you know, English premiership players not being able to refill glycogen stores, even 48 hours after at five, five grams per kilo of carbohydrate. And you think of some of these tennis players playing four hour match and then a day off and then another four hour match. Like you say, it's just, it's a challenge to be able to get the fuel in post and even, even whilst they're playing. So, um, of course that, that adds to the, the, the fun of the practice, isn't it? Of trying to figure out and problem solve and, and overcome some of these challenges. Yeah. And I would, I would, there may be research on this, but I would bet that they probably start to utilize carbohydrates in a more efficient way as well. Like their body starts to get used to knowing what they're at a pro level, they've done it for so many times that I'm sure their body gets a little more efficient than if you and I were to go out there and do it. Yeah. Like you say, training, creating the gut, especially in some of these longer ones is definitely part of the, part of the puzzle. Uh, So we've talked team sport. We've talked individual sport, you know, when it comes to assessing athletes, you know, this is a a more common and popular topic now around lab testing biomarkers, you know, for yourself, are there certain constellation of markers that you like to use? Are there certain ones that you find yourself having to address with, with different athletes? Yeah, I'm actually huge on lab chemistry. I'm taking an amazing course right now to dig in even deeper, Uh, forever learning metabolism. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, you know, it's interesting because there's so many functional tests out there nowadays and, and I will jump to them, but you can learn so much from your basic, um, you know, your CBC, your blood count or your metabolic panel. There's a lot of hidden micronutrient, um, signals within those lab work. And then I'm also always doing like a full iron panel, um, lipid panel, of course. Um, sometimes I'll do a thyroid panel. You know, I've, I've kind of run, I've kind of experimented with some different markers. Um, at one point I looked at like CTX for collagen turnover and I found that that wasn't really telling me much. So that's like a waste, um, you know, B12, 
Um, of course, we look at that vitamin D. That's like you have to do. Yep. But, you know, there's a lot of things to think about when you start drawing blood from athletes. And, you know, mm-hmm. one of the things is what's their schedule look like? Do they have a game that day? Um, at how many vials of blood are you are you drawing? So I have to like talk to the lab and figure out like certain nutrients will be in the same vial. Okay, fine. If like yeah. B12 and I don't know, B12 is in with something else. Like, okay, then let's just run them both because they're together. Um, but if I have to do another vial for something else, how important is that in the big picture? You know, because um, you could tell a lot about anemia and iron levels without having to do an iron panel, you know, so mm-hmm. just look at their, at their CBC and tell a lot from that. Yeah, it's definitely one with the schedule, whether it's team sport, how it impacts the schedule, what the coaches are saying, how the players feel, performance staff, um, a lot of things to navigate there. Like you say, even individual athletes, you know, depending on their schedule, how many, is it eight vials? Is it three? You know, <laughs> the athlete often wants to know in their, in their group because that impacts things, right? Yeah, I'm actually, I do some of the functional testing. So I do some micronutrient testing, mm-hmm. looking at like intra and extra extracellular, um, yeah. looking at antioxidants is a big one, fatty acids, because they all play mm-hmm. into each other. People don't realize that there's almost this, like, it's almost like pieces of the puzzle. So, you know, if your B vitamins are low, then you might be taking in fatty acids, but the conversion might not be happening. And some of these tests really show us that, which is pretty cool. And then you kind of put the pieces of the puzzle together and you could start to see where these deficits are. Um, where I will say that the the one area that that's tough is that these ranges are not made for performance athletes. I mean, realistically, you know, ranges are not made for superhuman people. So you have to take that into consideration. And doing so many tests, I've started to kind of be able to calibrate ranges in my own head. Mm-hmm. Um, and then sometimes I see patterns and I start to dig into research. And there are some people who have looked done research, like on Billy Rubin, we'll see like a higher level of Billy Rubin on some athletes because it's sure. an antioxidant. Um, and I think that, so there's some room for error for that and understanding how to interpret well for athletes. And then you have these huge superhuman people too. So, you know, like, where's the ranges? So there's a lot to take into consideration. I always tell people like, you can't just read the printout. You have to be able to understand the raw data. And then there's a lot of error for, you know, African-American population. You know, we know we see like this ethnic neutropenia. We see some different levels on kidneys. The jury's still out on like, do a lot of these levels have to be recalibrated because they're basing it on old, old, old research and we know better now. And that actually really bothers me because I work with a huge African-American population and I see these patterns and I'm like, it's time to change this. We need to, we need to really have the right lab ranges because it's just, and I, and I don't know if as many other people see it as much as I do, but I do start to see patterns in the same markers being off. And I feel like this is 2023 and we can do better than that. Certainly in the era of AI, hopefully we should be able to start to accelerate some of these things. Cause yeah, I mean, obviously a lot of these normal ranges are based on the general population and, and, and whatnot. And like you say, elite athletes have got much different demands and different genetics. And so there's going to be context is a huge part of the picture in terms of just like you say, what do you actually have to action on and what is just, you know, part of the smoke and then just a bit of noise really. So if we, I, I want to respect your time here, Jackie, as we get through to the, towards the end here, I mean, often asking practitioners, you know, scientists who come on board over the years, it's been really interesting to hear different experiences from different guests of, of, of lessons learned. So, you know, question I pose to you is whether it's early career, whether it's recent, you know, what are some of the lessons that you've learned through failure with working with an athlete or a team or in any context? You know, I really don't feel like I've had failures in my career, which I guess is great, but I've had a lot of lessons, definitely a lot of lessons. 
along the way. Yeah, right. And I think if I could like go back and tell myself a couple of years ago, um, it's really to trust myself and believe in myself and my knowledge. And also to trust mm -hmm. myself as being an expert in the field as where I'm positioning myself from a business standpoint. Because I think a lot of times people look at, they'll put nutrition in, in the back burner or um, just mm. being, I hate, hate to bring this up, but just being a woman, you know, you don't get as much respect and you have yeah. to like stand in your power and in your strength and be like, no, I'm like, I am a healthcare professional. I am an expert in this field, just like you are. And this is what I bring to the table. And also, you know, as a private business owner setting my pricing, I think for years I was really under pricing what my services were. And it was tough for me. Like I was struggling because I was told by other people that like my value wasn't there, but now I know what my value is. And now I know what I bring to the table. So I think that I would go back and, and I was, and, and I would say I was always right, but a lot of times like I would question myself and then I'd go back and I was like, oh, I was right. So now I always tell myself, you know what, Jackie, you are right. Stand in your power and, and sure. go forwards knowing that you are an expert in the field in not just, not just the science side of things, but the whole business side of things as well. And also like kind of leading the way. So if I do, if I do make a mistake, you know, what can I do? I can like teach others afterwards. Yeah, hundred percent. And I think that's a great point for any healthcare practitioner, because effectively if, without the business background, we sort of tend to default to charging less to want to help the client, to help the patient be able to support. Um, and like you say, I mean, at the end of the day, when you're trading your time, um, providing a service, it's different than, than sort of selling a product, isn't it? And so value is, is a big part of that. And I think it is one that when we talk to, when I talk to sport dietitians, performance nutritionists, strength coaches, it's something that comes up often. So I think that's a really great, great message there. Awesome. Well, listen, if we round things out back to 30,000 foot view, this whole performance nutrition area, if you're looking at, you know, an athletes, actually we'll do it both ways, piece of advice for athletes. And what would be a piece of advice for you know, young practitioner, sport dietitian, performance nutritionist starting out? So my advice for athletes is to get into the nutrition side of things early. I mean, I look at nutrition as that kind of secret weapon. I mean, it is your, it is your secret weapon to being better than your competition. It really is. And to start early on and, and, and to want to learn a little bit too, so that you do understand what you're doing and why, even if it's on a very surface level, but to know why you're taking these actions, but don't wait until there's an injury or don't wait until you're, you know, everyone, even athletes are motivated by how their body looks. And sometimes they just wait until they're putting on a couple extra pounds and they don't like the way their body looks. Mm. But understand how much your nutrition affects your output, your play, and your recovery and get on top of that early. That's really my advice to athletes. Um, awesome. And, then and for the coaches? To coaches. Um, you know, I think coaches really need to understand the role that nutritionists can play to help them as well too. Um, and so, you know, I think that some coaches really do understand and respect it and some kind of push it aside or think that their role is more important, but I think we're mm -hmm. all equal pieces of the puzzle. We really are. Um, and it's yeah. just a matter of time before nutrition kind of catches up, but because, you know, coaches have been there for so long and strength and conditioning has been there for so long that, that it doesn't look equal, but it really is all an equal part of this puzzle, you know? Yeah, it certainly impacts all areas from physical to mental and medical to rehab and SNC, the whole works, right? And the more that coaches, for me personally, the more that coaches communicate with me, the more I can help them and the more we can help the athlete. Because at the end of the day, we're all here to help the athlete. And so I always say like, you know, all egos aside, it doesn't matter. I want to learn from you. You learn from me. How can we work together to help the athlete? Because the more we can collaborate, the better the outcome is going to be. Yeah, that's a great point around 
trying to spend some time with the actual team coaches to understand what are they trying to get out of this player? What's the, what's the role of the player on the field or the court? What are the qualities that player needs? Because then it becomes very helpful for the practitioner to figure out, okay, well, this is how we can then translate the support, whether it's body composition, whether it's the qualities that the strength coach is trying to achieve, whether it's focus and mindset and various things. I mean, it really being able to see that problem through the eyes of the coach, being able to see that problem through the eyes of the SC, being able to see that problem even through the, you know, the reconditioning group, it really helps to be able to, to put your best foot forward. So that's you know, a really great point. Awesome, Jackie. Listen, I appreciate you carving out some time. Where's the best place for people to stay connected with you and, and keep up with all your fantastic work? Sure. So my website is Athletes Nutrition, but it is spelled A-T-H-L-E-A-T-S, like eats. Yep. Awesome. Um, I try to put out on my Instagram, I try to do a lot of educational information. Um, once again, it's athletes nutrition spelled the same way. Um, and so that's probably where you can find me the easiest and try to find, tap into some of my knowledge over there. And if you have some stuff you want to learn about, send me a DM. Cause I always love inspiration on what to teach people. So those are probably the two best places to get me. Awesome. We'll definitely include those links in the show notes. And again, really appreciate you, uh, you know, carving out some time and Sounds like you got a, a good setup. You're between what, Florida and, and recently Hawaii. So I yeah. think you should be pretty good with your vitamin D levels, no? I am. Yeah, I am. But <laughs> nice. listen, I still take vitamin D too. We all need it. So <laughs> yeah, there, there you go. Amazing. Awesome. Appreciate the time, Jackie. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Performance Nutrition Podcast. As always, appreciate you taking the time. Please rate, review, and subscribe to the Performance Nutrition Podcast. It's a big help to the show and keeps us attracting the best of the best in performance nutrition. All right, see you next time. The Dr. Bub's Performance Podcast endeavors to provide accurate and helpful information to listeners. These podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Dr. Bub's Performance Podcasts.